Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This week, the BC Construction Association stops by to give us a deep dive on prompt payment legislation. We also cover innovative approaches to the skilled labor problem here in British Columbia, leadership lessons from the organization's president and CEO, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. I'm Chris Atchison. I'm the president of the BC Construction Association. Uh, We're here in British Columbia. We're based out of Victoria, but we represent uh, members and industry in the industrial, commercial, and institutional sector across the province. And uh, we're we're the voice of construction in Victoria, uh, working on uh, priorities uh, to build and strengthen uh, our our skilled professional workforce, uh, supporting construction delivery uh, and best practices in procurement and delivering on prompt payment, and then, of course, working uh, in and for our our communities across the province. Uh, So glad to be here with you today, John. Awesome, Chris. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, And as we jump in here, I wonder, as the year is coming to a close, uh, if you have had an opportunity to reflect it uh, kind of on, on the industry or, or your association as a whole. Are there a couple of key highlights that stick out to you in terms of industry programs or accomplishments? Uh, anyway, yeah, in the past year. Yeah, I would have to say um, that, that, that one of the, the, the primary things that we've been working um, with the provincial government on is the delivery of prompt payment legislation for the construction industry in British Columbia. And uh, 2021 is going to represent a a year in which we've made significant headway. We're still maybe six months to a year away from delivering on the legislation, which will take time. Uh, But it's it's long overdue for prompt payment laws to be uh, reformed in British Columbia and mirroring those that we see in Ontario and and throughout the federal government uh, procurement process. So we're very pleased with what 2021 has brought to us in terms of hope on prompt payment legislation coming to BC. And I guess the second thing uh, that's so important is that uh, throughout COVID and then again that we've seen through uh, the the recent flooding in British Columbia is the fact that the construction industry has been essential, uh, deemed essential uh, throughout uh, this period of time. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that uh, the construction industry has, has rendered itself, um, uh, demonstrated that it's pandemic proof and that we are there to respond to the needs of British Columbians um, uh, at, at, you know, at all times. So uh, the, this essential designation is going to be with us for a while. And, and I think that has really raised the, um, um, uh, the, the prestige and the pride of being associated uh, with the construction industry. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're essential right now. And I think going forward, as we uh, work with our colleagues in, uh, in the provincial government and different ministries, uh, that they are starting to recognize uh, that, that we're of tremendous value to this province. Yeah, no, and I completely agree with you. The prompt payment thing especially has been interesting because that was something that, you know, a lay person like myself is not really going to know too much about. But I remember seeing some education stuff coming out from the Vancouver Island Construction Association about that a couple of months back. So that is great to see, especially for the for the little guys there. Digging into to this a little bit deeper, I'm wondering if there are some member stories that stick out to you uh, over the past year. Yeah, sure. So uh there's so many great stories that we could tell about our members, but the one that I will uh, settle on 
today is uh, West Canna Electric uh, out of the, the Northern Regional Construction Association. And I really want to single them out for the enormous success that they're having with their efforts to create a, a supportive workplace for all their workers. And they're doing this through their own values, but also through their implementation of our of our Builders Code uh, initiative as well. And they have now been the recipient of uh, four Builders Code awards in the past um, in the past three years, and they've also won the Contractor of the Year award this year for um, uh, for, for the Builders Code. It's just demonstrating extraordinary leadership. And it's the kind that we have to see more of across the industry. And I'll just take a moment to explain why. It's that uh, we know that we have a skilled workforce shortage. There is a um, there are workforce shortages across um, many industries, and, and this is very prevalent in our industry as well. And uh, the skilled professionals that are required to work in our industry are are those who are um, uh, those who work in the trades, and also those who work on. Uh, estimating and project management and those in, uh, in the architecture and engineering fields. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a big job to have uh, the right people. And, but still, our industry is about um, 95% male, and we need to do a better job of improving the culture of the construction industry. And this is something that the industry itself is starting to, to really recognize and value. And that's what we're hoping... Uh, when we came out a few years ago with the Builders Code, this is what we, our leadership is to help, to help industry itself change its culture. And so when we see an organization uh, like West Canada Electric, who is leading by example, leading from within, and, and really uh, demonstrating a commitment to build the workforce of the future, uh, we, we really commend them. And there are others who uh, are doing very incredible work, but we think that this is going to be, uh, uh, and an essential piece of what we have to do for the long term in the industry. Uh, we're, we're at 95% male um, historically, and in order to move that needle to get to uh, more underrepresented groups uh, thriving and succeeding in the construction industry, we have lots of room for them. But we need to make sure we're deliberate and intentional uh, about changing the culture of our industry in order to making it as welcoming an industry as we want it to be. Going forward in the next uh, quarter or two here, is there anything that you're expecting from the industry? Um, I talked to uh, Kinetic Construction earlier today, and they're just kind of telling me there's so much work available. It's almost a, you have to be careful, otherwise you'll overload yourself too much. Is there anything that, that uh, of note that you're, that you're expecting in the next couple months? Yeah, there there is um, there there is a lot of work that that is out there, and I, I would uh, completely agree with the sentiments of of Kinetic. I think that what we're seeing from that twenty thousand foot view in our you know in our purview of the industry is that we've got a lot of work ahead, um, and it's not just the actual projects that we're working on, but we need to be contributing and a key force in the intentional uh, response and recovery to the disasters from whether it's the pandemic to fire and flood. Uh, We need to be uh, proactive in the planning uh, with different levels of government because uh, these types of things aren't going to let up, or at least we can't expect them to let up. And while the everyday projects need to continue, um, our our industry is going to be uh, the backbone of this province uh, alongside our our emergency responders, and thus we need to continue to position ourselves as the essential responders in time of need. 
And we've seen that really in, intensify in the past number of months. Uh, so we need to be proactive in asserting ourselves as part of the solution going forward. So I would say um, positioning ourselves as the essential responders that we've demonstrated our, ourselves to be over the past couple of years. And then I think secondarily, uh, we, we have some real heavy lifting to do on the prompt payment file, as we've, we've talked about before. Uh, very early in 2022, we're going to be getting some feedback from the Attorney General's office, and that will determine our next steps to roll up our sleeves, to get busy on the, on the research and the alignment of the prompt payment legislation that we want to see ushered in in this province uh, so that our contractors can be paid on time and, and justifiably so for the work that they've done. Um, but there again, so those two areas will, will be needing to roll up our sleeves um, because we've got a, a tremendous amount of meaningful work to do in terms of leadership beyond the projects that are underway. Are you able to, to flush out the, the prompt payment legislation a little bit in terms of what is happening in other jurisdictions and what you guys are advocating for, just kind of for the, the average uh, Joe listener here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in 2018, uh, the Construction Act came, to, came into being in Ontario, and that was after um, a tremendous amount of consultation and leadership from the industry. Um, and they essentially became the first jurisdiction in Canada to have prompt payment legislation, and that it's coupled with adjudication. Um, and so the intention in Ontario is to uh, make sure that uh, there is a certainty around payment for construction projects. So nobody is advocating that people should be paid when they don't do the work. But when the work is done, uh, we expect that there is a, a reasonable uh, payment flow from uh, the owner to general contractors to subcontractors uh, and to sub-sub trades. And uh, what happens all too often is that there are um, elements in the construction industry who have serious delays put on their payments. And whether it's uh, a, a contract term that says uh, pay when paid, which means I will only pay you once I get the money, even though you've done the work you're not going to get paid until I get paid. Well, that's not the way it works in real life. If we get a bill um, when we walk into a retail store or a a restaurant, we're expecting to pay for that on the completion of the service we've been given. In construction, very often those terms are 60 days, 90 days, 180 days, and in some cases longer than that, or in the worst cases, people don't get paid at all. Well, this seriously impacts the cash flows of of contractors who are trying to bid on their next job. They're trying to pay their teams. They're trying to get the bonding that they need to 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 step up and and do the work. But all, if you can imagine the complexities within con, uh, construction projects, well, if if you if the last person in on a job is is um, you know a mechanical or electrical tradesperson and they're not getting paid. For, for the job that they do, they're going to think twice about, um, about bidding on a job. They have to make tough decisions on, on paying their, their team. And they've got overhead costs and they've got um, a real costs associated with their businesses as well. So it really, um, the fact that the payment flows are not certain in construction when the work is done is something that really undermines the immense impact that we can have on the economic recovery because there's so much uncertainty of those payment flows. So when prompt payment comes in, it provides a level of certainty that everyone who has completed work 
can get or can and should get paid within a 28-day or 30-day window. And it works in Ontario right now as a, as a very effective deterrent so that people aren't bogging up the court systems by, by leaning a project. If you lean a project, then nobody on that project gets paid until things are resolved by the courts. And that uh, should be a last resort mechanism that wouldn't be taken away with new prompt payment legislation, but it, it, but it means that the deterrent of having a law that ensures prompt payment, that people are, are thinking twice about not paying on time. The other thing that it introduces is adjudication. Again, we don't want to clog up the courts. The courts are there for, for civil issues. The courts are there for, uh, for serious issues uh, involving persons and property. Not always, uh, they shouldn't be there to resolve the issues of business. So if we have the adjudication system, which they're looking, which they have in Ontario, and they're looking at federally, then we have professionals um, uh, who have experience in construction contracts that can make determinations based on fairness and precedence. And again, this, this keeps things out of the courts and keeps things moving at a time when we need projects to move and we need projects to accelerate and we need payments to flow. So there's so many good things. It's a very exciting time. It is complex, but at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that people get paid in a, in a fair time for the work that they've done. I want to jump into a little bit of the, the skilled labor shortage. I remember in the mid-2010s, I think Peter Fassbender, at the, who was the education minister at the time, was working on rejigging the uh, secondary education system to kind of enhance or get people fo- or students and teachers focused on developing people within the skilled labor sector. And I don't know if there's been a big improvement since then or, or what's happened, but I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to what you're saying uh, to government to help to improve uh, or incentivize people to get into the trades. Um, we're just kind of w- what you guys are seeing from, from that, uh, from that problem area. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, issue that we could we we could spend the next six weeks talking about this issue and so what i will say is that across government there seems to be a um a a real awareness that there is a skilled labor shortage now uh, across you know across multiple sectors and that's really been um exacerbated by covid19 and kind of the way our workforce at large has uh, changed and I would say to some extent reprioritized itself. Notwithstanding that, I do think that a number of ministries in the provincial government and, and even when I was, uh, I was in Ottawa a few weeks ago and speaking to some, some MPs and, and the, everyone is, this is the, the hottest topic right now is how we're going to address this. So everyone's talking about it and um, our, our job at the BC Construction Association is to is to continue to come up with solutions, to be an agent of change, and to sort of um, walk the walk in terms of, of what needs to be done. But there are a lot of people listening now. Um, we're, we're listening to the challenges within industry, and government is listening to the challenges that we're bringing forward. First of all, I guess that we, we do know that we uh, have the need for many skilled professionals in, in our industry. And we have uh, what, what I think it really works in our favor is that in construction, there are countless numbers of high opportunity occupations. They're good paying jobs. They offer a tremendous amount of diversity for whatever anyone might be looking for. If you, if you like numbers, 
you can become an estimator. If you like managing people, you can become a project manager. If you like working with your hands, you can become a tradesperson in any myriad of, of um, high opportunity occupations in between. We have a proven track record in our, our workforce development programs like the Skilled Trades Employment Program, like our Integrating Newcomers Program, which is working with um, new Canadians who have been identified and pre-approved for landing in Canada. We do outreach to them and we give them labour market information about where they should go in British Columbia and Canada for the best jobs in construction that fit their needs. We have mentorship programs that are coming online in 2022. And we, of course, have the Builder's Code, which is that wraparound piece about retention that is um, speaking to, uh, as I mentioned before, how we really need to set a baseline code of conduct amongst the industry so that we can work on the retention strategies. So we've built this, um, uh, you know, these, these wraparound services uh, to, to um, best meet the needs of the local labor markets, the regional uh, issues, the provincial uh, labor pool, anyone who's, uh, needs, who needs, who has an interest in coming to British Columbia can be supported from across country and even uh, from the international community serving new Canadians. There's a couple of things that where there are weaknesses and just going back to the, um, what you mentioned at the outset is that we have to have a better profile about the high opportunity occupations in construction starting in a very young age. Um, I think there still is a stigma uh, towards the industry uh, that a lot of parents don't want their kids to consider it. However, it, it's, we're starting to change that. There is more of a respect coming from construction because people can finish their journey um, to a trade within you know, just over four years. They're coming out debt-free uh, from their schools, if they can, as long as they can get into classes, and they can be making uh, you know close to $100,000 right away in a labor market like this. Uh, you know, I'm not. I don't want to say that the streets are paved with gold. There is, you know, you still have to go through the steps to get there. But there are opportunities that exist here that I think people are starting to to see. Whereas in the past, people would go and do their uh, graduate degrees or, or their undergrad degrees, and then they'd come out and struggle in the labor market and eventually go back and maybe consider the trades at a late age. We want to start backing that age up to be more, people should be considering this when they come out of high school, not once they've tried so many other things. We're saying come into construction and then you can try other things that exist within our industry. We have a huge um, number of people that are, are working in the industry in all aspects uh, of um, the construction continuum and very, very professional, um, you know, off the office type jobs. And then we've got uh, people on the tools and all of them are skilled professionals. And, you know, and I think the other piece is that we also know that the skilled labor shortage isn't going to be solved just with our um, homegrown talent. Uh, even though we're working very, very hard with our local communities and, and our underrepresented groups, those who are underrepresented in the demographics of construction uh, currently, we're not going to meet the demand that we have uh, within Canada alone. Uh, and so that's where I think we can do some more work with our provincial nominee program and um, our, our immigration and, and, and refugee center for Canada 
uh, we can uh, start to build more inroads for those in other countries who, who want to emigrate to Canada. Uh, we have jobs for them, and they are skilled and professional in their own right, and they would fit seamlessly. We have to make it easier for those people who want to come and become Canadians um, who have those skills. That's, I, I think, uh, where we need to turn our attentions to in 2022 to make it easier for people who have the skills and the ambition to become new Canadians uh, to get the jobs as part of their settlement and 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 really um, secure that uh, portion of their lives. They're already choosing Canada. Well, well, construction can choose them. We just need to do a better job at matching them. I want to jump a little bit into your professional background, if that's okay. Um, and if you could kind of just give me a little bit of your journey about how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's it's one of it's an unconventional path for sure. But uh, so I'm born and raised in BC. I was uh, born in the northwest of the province in in a, a, a coastal town of Prince Rupert, and um, I was involved in the uh, commercial fishing industry. Actually, my family is still involved in the industry, and I had the opportunity to work. Uh, to work with uh, with with my dad in the industry for a number of years, and that allowed me to to put myself into university and and went to UBC for a number of years and uh, came out of university with a uh, political science and and economics degree, uh, which promptly led me back to uh, the commercial fishing industry. I then uh, moved to Victoria. Uh, where I uh, very quickly became involved in workforce development programming as a uh, uh, starting as a, a facilitator for communication skills and computer training. And then uh, very quickly after that, I got involved in workforce development for uh, helping the career transition of those bit that have been displaced from the commercial fishing industry uh, during the late uh, 1990s and 2000s and helping those people kind of uh, through an industrial adjustment, reprofile their transferable skills into other occupations. That led me to work with an association called ASPECT, uh, the Association of Service Providers for Employability and Career Training. And that really cemented my passion about workforce development and helping um, uh, individualized uh, planning for people, whether they were newcomers to Canada or whether they were uh, local populations in sort of that self-determination about finding jobs um, uh, where, where they could thrive in their communities. Uh, throughout my time at Aspect, uh, I developed a, a sense of purpose of helping people um, pursue their workforce development strategies. And it, it led me to get to know the BC Construction Association a bit better and their skilled trades employment program. And uh, when the opportunity came to, uh, to to move over to the BC Construction Association and take on uh, the provincial uh, leadership role of the uh, skilled trades employment program, I, I jumped at the opportunity. I just it was a um, it was a gold standard in terms of uh, job development and, and workforce development programs. And shortly after that, uh, was um, you know I was encouraged to step up and I uh, be become the, the president of the BC Construction Association, given my experience on working with associations over the years. And, um, and, and that's how I came into it. So the, my background is not from construction. My background is from association work and from advocacy work. And uh, I learned from the members that, that uh, throughout this 
province every day on um, more and more things about the construction industry. And I'm, I'm just, just pleased to be in the position I am. I want to ask you a little bit about the challenges too. Just it's a, qu- a question I like to ask or a style of question where you're kind of contrasting where you started in your career versus where you are now. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what the challenges were like when you first kind of started your professional career um, to kind of where you're at now? Yeah, it's a, you know, it, it is a great question. And, and I, I, I think for me, you know, um, I think, I think coming into, to any leadership role, it, you, you always have a measure of, uh, you know, a measure of, of doubt um, you, you know, you, you might doubt your, your education, you might doubt your own abilities, you might doubt yourself, you might doubt your own voice uh, in, in, in a group. And I think what, what really takes hold over time, um, uh, you, you know, you, you, you have some times where you need to be a bit more resilient, you need to put yourself out there a little bit, and you need to take some risks. And I, I think that what comes from within is a sense of belief that you might not always get it right, but you're doing things for the right reasons. And, and so I guess, uh, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing that I've um, acquired in, in my professional career is that once you believe in, in yourself enough and you believe in your convictions of what you're doing, it, it becomes easier. Uh, it's it's not always meant to be easy, and sometimes you learn the most about yourself, and you learn the most about what you should be doing when things are hard. But but by persevering through that, and by demonstrating resilience in, in that regard, um, you know you earn the trust of those around you, the people who who support you, your you know those who are on your team, and those who you serve, which are the members, uh, which are you know in my case, it's also a board of directors that you believe based on the feedback that you're receiving that you're on the right track. And when you're not on the right track, it's usually a pretty minor correction because there's always lots of communication. So uh, it's easy. As long as you keep your feet moving forward, uh, there's going to be difficult times, but build up that sense of belief and always, uh, always trust. And as long as your, your principles are good, your, your, you know, our case, if your strategic plan is good, you can take the necessary risks as long as you believe that what you're doing is, is correct to serve the needs of the members. Tremendous. Um, so with that being said, what is your favorite book or podcast? Well, you know, I'm going to say it's inside construction. And so inside <laughs> construction is our new podcast from the BC construction association. And, you know, it was, um, we initiated that in 2021. We're going to keep it going into 2022. Uh, as topics emerge, it isn't a, a weekly podcast. I wouldn't even say it's a, a monthly podcast, but we're, we're very um, uh, conscientious about the, the subjects that we raise and, and the, um, uh, the people we bring in to speak. And so it's, it's really been a labor of love. It's not something I do as a profession, but I've really enjoyed uh, the experience and we'll keep it going. So Inside Construction is, is my favorite podcast. Love it. Uh, best personal advice that you've received? Well, I guess, uh, you know, I don't even know uh, where I got it, but it's something that I use all the time. And it's, uh, it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. And, um, you know, I use that in, in, in any variety of applications. And, and it just, you know, we can all have our, our, our rough days or we can all start a project that doesn't go according to plan out of the gates. But as long as we continue and persevere, 
uh, it's especially relevant. I have a, a background in, in, in coaching, um, uh, you know, minor hockey and, and, and high performance minor hockey. And, you know, sometimes th- things can be a little bit unpredictable in, in, in sports and in life. And so I always uh, firmly believe that, that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I just, I'm going to reframe the last question based on our, our conversation earlier. <laughs> when you're at home, uh, what is your go-to comfort food? It could be a type um, or a favorite snack, grilled cheese or something like that. Yeah, well, given, given my background, I would say uh, fish and chips. You know, it's got to be uh, ling cod or gray cod or sometimes halibut. And, uh, and, and chips. That would be my, you know, give, given my background, given my coastal roots, can't go wrong with that. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.